Good start envisions the end result. Thank you for joining. This is episode 16 of the Bryce Harper podcast. And uh, this is Bryce Harper. I am the father of Sarah Harper, the girl dad of two amazing daughters, Mary Catherine Jubilee Harper, Madeline Brooke Harper. MC is five and Madeline is two. And I'm also the lead pastor of Family Worship Center here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we are in a series entitled Get Ready. As we are in a season of Lent, the church is. Uh, we started a series last week entitled Get Ready. And uh, we continue that. And this is part two of some of the notes I shared. Last week, I talked specifically in regards to the baptism of Jesus, how water baptism uh, was important in that moment, and how it's relevant to us today. And um, you can check that out. One of the key notes. Um, I made there was water baptism is not just us publicly telling everyone we are saved. It is us publicly telling ourselves we are all in until final breath. And in part two today, I want to talk to you out of Luke chapter three and chapter four, uh, the temptation of Jesus. Last week, we talked about initiation. This week is temptation. And this coming Sunday, we're going to talk demonstration as we are in this series of getting ready, getting ready for Easter, getting ready for what God wants to do. I just in Going into this series, that's just two words I just heard really, really strong and boldly just in prayer and study was get ready. As John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord, um, so are we to prepare our hearts for what Jesus wants to do in our lives, in our world, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, our nation and world. Um, What are we doing to get ready? And we talked about the initiation process, process of that. And then now looking at the temptation of Jesus, Luke chapter three, let's uh, kind of on the heels of the water baptism, verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open. I love that. While he, Jesus, was praying, the heavens uh, were opened. I hope that God can find us praying if we are to see heaven open and to bless us and, and, and provide for us and protect us, I believe those things are going to be a consequence of, of God finding us praying. Verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you are well pleased. Temptation initially, kind of going into this in chapter 4 in the Gospel of Luke, temptation or testing is merely an opportunity for us to recite and rely on God's truth. Very important, temptation or testing is merely an opportunity for us to recite and to rely on God's truth. The Gospel of John talks about the baptism of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit descended, and remained. And I believe that is the intentions of our experience, our supernatural experience in our relationship with God is that it wouldn't just be specific moments, but that it would be an experience that remains with us. Uh, I'll put it like this. God does not avail himself so we can have visitations because holy visitations are an invitation into his holy habitation. God does not avail himself. God does not reveal himself just so we can have just moments or visitations because God 
in those holy visitations is giving us an invitation into his holy habitation. So in the beginning of Luke chapter 4, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. The biggest understatement in all of Scripture, for 40 days Jesus ate nothing, and he was hungry. I would suggest he wasn't just hungry, he was probably starving, um, depleted, exhausted. And so, and then we begin to see the the, the devil um, begin his testing of Jesus. And three things we see here that I think is important for us to recognize, and that, that is darkness, or the enemy of our soul attacks us when, we're, when we are most vulnerable. And we are most vulnerable when we are in states of isolation, malnourishment, and exhaustion. When you are isolated, the enemy is attacking you. When you, are not, when you have not been taking care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when you are malnourished in any one of those four areas, the enemy is going to attack you. And when you're just flat out exhausted because of those things, the enemy is going to attack you. And he's just got you in a prime place to really pull you away from God's intention and God's plan and purpose for your life. And so the devil said to Jesus in verse 3, if, if you are the Son of God, if. Um, we all know Jesus is the Son of God. He, that was just declared over him in the previous verses and the previous chapter. But immediately the devil says, if you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. Um, I don't know what's wrong with uh, turning stone into bread, especially after 40 days. And if you're Jesus, the Son of God, and you have the ability to do all kind of stuff. And um, I can't help but think about when I go on date nights with Sarah, she loves bread. I mean, if we go to a place and it's got rolls or um, bread as kind of like a little um, on the house appetizer, I mean, she's diving into it. She likes um, basically a, a little bit of bread with her butter as well. And so she usually, we usually have to ask for extra butter right off the top because um, whatever little ramekin they have given us butter in, that's basically hers. Um, I can get a little scrape off the top, but the rest is hers. Um, but, uh, and so I love in those moments where me and friends, we have noticed how much she enjoys uh, just lavering on uh, the butter on, on bread. But here, Jesus, the devil's like, Hey, if you're hungry, why don't you just, um, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn the stone into bread? And what's fascinating about this is, um, you know, here is Jesus just being declared his identity as a son of God. And what we have to in this, we, we see that, uh, that we cannot take our God given eternal identity an ability and just use it just to meet our physical needs because our talents, our giftings, um, our identity um, is not just is not about meeting my need, but it's about meeting the needs of the world around me. Um, only God can really sufficiently fulfill my needs. I'm not really able to sufficiently do that for myself or anybody else for that matter. But here the enemy is telling Jesus, you know, just Take care of yourself, meet your needs, you're hungry, get some bread. Um, 
and we have to realize that our God-given identity and talent and, and ability and power is not just to meet our needs, but meet the needs around us. First Peter 4.10 proves that as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Um, and so the enemy attempts to take our supernatural relationship with God and dilute it to just temporal, to this temporal, physical relationship. Here, Jesus has this incredible supernatural experience of being water baptized, the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove, and the, the booming voice from Yahweh, this is my beloved son who I'm, for whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately the devil says, hey, just get you some bread. Just take your uh, personal identity and ability and just make it about meeting your needs. We all are very aware that the mission that Jesus was sent on, this initiation of that mission was not about meeting his needs, but it was about doing the will of the Father. Verse 4, and Jesus answered, is not, it, is, it is written, man should not live on bread alone. So there we have the proof that man from Jesus is saying, shall not live on bread alone. And we see that in Deuteronomy. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse uh, chapter eight verse 3. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your, did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that men should not live on bread alone, but shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of God. And so we see that in the gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, but you know, Jesus says we should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Verse 5 in Luke chapter 4, and he led him, the devil led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I will give it to you, um, give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. The word domain there that the devil is using is literally translated um, to the Greek word from the Greek word exousia, um, which means the power of choice or to do as one pleases. We understand that Jesus's mandate on his life, that he was not living for his own will or his own decisions, but he was living for the will of the Father. Didn't do anything unless he saw the Father do it first. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And so he was just this this, this person living in step with what God wanted. It wasn't just about his will, but God's will. And here, the domain that the devil is tempting or testing Jesus with is the domain of the power of choice. Jesus replied, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's interesting that the devil is tempting him with a domain and with glory. And, and Jesus' response to that is you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus understood the enemy's love of authority, but refused to validate it by worshiping him. He understood the enemy had authority, but refused to validate it. By worshiping him, Jesus knew he would redeem humanity by way of the cross, not by making an alliance with the corrupted nature of the enemy. The world is still being redeemed by way of the cross of Jesus, not by way of making alliances with corrupted earthly kingdoms. 
the enemy will circumvent our eternal impact by way of us making an agreement to ascribe worth to darkness. Very, very important. The enemy will circumvent our eternal impact, our eternal identity, ability, talent, by way of us making an agreement to ascribe worth, worship, to darkness. Another way of saying this is God's not saving humanity by way of politics. He's saving humanity by way of his son's crucifix. We And, and Exodus chapter 20 proves this. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. John chapter 4, 23 and 24. Time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's continue Luke in chapter 4, verse 9 now. And he brought Jesus, the devil brought Jesus into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Verse 10, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. The devil's essentially quoting Psalm 91. Let's read it verse 11 through 13. For he'll give you his angels order orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. On their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will walk upon the lion and cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. And so the enemy here wants us to use our God-given identification for self-preservation and sensationalism rather than God's divine intervention and his glorification. So the enemy wants to take um, what what Jesus is doing, his life and his identity, and make it about self-preservation and sensationalism. So God wants to take what Jesus is doing and make it about intervention and Yahweh's glorification. So so important to see this. God wants to take what Jesus is doing and make it about intervention. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save the world, right? Uh, and, and to glorify God. And so verse 12, And Jesus answered and said to him, it, it, it has been stated, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So again, just review from top, from the very beginning to now, you know, water baptism is not just us publicly telling everyone we're saved. It's us publicly telling ourselves we are all in until final breath. God does not avail himself so we can have visitations because holy visitations are an invitation to his holy habitation. Darkness attacks us when we're most vulnerable. When are we most vulnerable? When we're one, isolated, isolate, in, in isolation. Two, when we're uh, malnourished. And three, when we're exhausted. Any one of those threes or a combination of those or all three is when we can expect there to be some serious tension and difficulty um, in our lives. Uh, my talents are not to fulfill my needs. My talents are designed to meet the needs around me. Only God sufficiently fulfills my needs. And the world is still being redeemed by way of the cross of Jesus, not by way of making alliances with corrupted earthly kingdoms. The enemy will circumvent our eternal impact by way of us making an agreement to ascribe worth to darkness. 
God's not saving humanity by way of politics. He's saving humanity by way of his son's crucifix. The enemy wants to take our God-given identification and use it for self-preservation and sensationalism rather than God's divine intervention and glorification. You know, in the beginning of all of this, God says at Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, this is my beloved son. Damon Thompson always makes makes it very clear to point this this very, very important um, notation um, in the Gospels in this account and that here God says, this is my beloved son. What happens when he goes, he's, when Jesus is led by the, the Spirit into the wilderness, he's approached by the devil. The devil begins questioning. In each one of his questions, he says, if you are the son of God. But he leaves out a very, very important word that is found in Scripture. And that is this. The difference between God saying he's the son of God and the devil saying, if you're the son of God, is this. God said, this is my beloved son. The devil says, if you are the son of God. And one of the primary ways the enemy attacks us is he wants to remove any kind of notion that we are loved by God. That we are beloved by God. We should never forget the great sacrifice, the great links, the great actions of Yahweh towards us, and that nothing can remove that beloved status that he has towards us. No matter what Juby or Maddie do, they'll always be loved by me um, as their father. Um, the enemy intentionally leaves out beloved. Um, Ephesians chapter 3 Paul writes and says, and, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is saying, I want, you, I want you to have the power to understand uh, what's impossible to understand. I, and essentially, he's saying, I want you to know the unknowable. I want you to just step out into a free fall of trying to grasp uh, the air around you, um, and to embrace the vastness and the greatness of God's love for us. And, you know, every single night I am typically putting our youngest to sleep. And we sit in the rocking chair, we pray, um, we sing a couple of hymns, and she usually wants to sing, sing uh, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, she usually wants to sing, that's one of them. And, um, and she always wants to sing the verse. Um, she'll, she'll say like this, he who died. Uh, she'll say, he who died. She, like, she wants to sing that verse. You know, I don't know if it's a psychological thing with the cadence of the words and the enunciation of the words that causes her to want to say he who died. I mean, we can, we can circle around this and try to figure out 
the psychological ramifications of that, the reasoning behind it. Um, but there's something in the heart of humanity that wants to embrace as best we can this great love God has for us. That he who died, Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gates are open wide. And thank you for tuning in and um, keep following along. We'll continue part three of Get Ready. And man, if you don't have a church to attend, you're in the Murfreesboro area, come join us, 9 and 11, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, north side of town in Murfreesboro, just before the VA hospital. You'll see us there on the left going north. And uh, you can't miss us. Family Worship Center, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We'd love to have you again, 9 o'clock service, 11 o'clock service. And, um, man, God's been good. God's been doing things. And um, we've seen 43 people saved so far this year. And uh, God's just moving. Um, people are coming out and, and being a part of what God's doing. And, um, man, it's, it's our endeavor to be a people of prayer, worship, and word, uh, to believe, belong, and impact. And, um, man, just come and check us out if you don't have a place. And we'd love to see you. And, um, again, thanks for tuning in to my podcast. And uh, don't ever forget, a good start envisions the end result.